this morning we had our very first sunrise service, sort of. We sort of had a sunrise service in 2020, right, John? We, because uh, that was the, everyone was video. The sun, the sun did rise that day. It did. Yeah, it came up that day. Um, but because it was early in the pandemic, uh, churches were meeting generally, and uh, John usually leads one in uh, in Richmond, and they weren't doing one. So John showed up at our barn. I mean, we knew ahead of time. He didn't just show up. Um, <laughs> And uh, we, did, we did that one from the barn uh, two years ago. Um, but we have our own space now, and so this is our first uh, sunrise service. Um, <clears throat> and it was, it was a blast. Uh, I was getting ready this morning. I came out. It was pitch dark. I got up about 4 o'clock and waiting for Lisa to come down, and I figured I'd get the car started, warm it up, and I go outside, and the very first thing that happens when I go outside is this bird is chirping so loud, and it was pitch dark out, and it was just singing like it was high noon, and I thought, boy, what a great uh, symbol for this day, you know, it, it was, it like struck me as soon as I uh, walked outside, and then uh, we drove here, and uh, Tim was here getting the, the fire ready because the wood we had was soaking wet. And, uh, and the first thing I heard when I got out was the, the roosters crowing. When we lived in Topsom, we had roosters next door. And there's a song by David Ramirez says that that rooster never crowed at dawn. And I think that's a true statement. They crow in the middle of the night. They crow after us. But this morning, it, right when we pulled in, right at about uh, 5.30... The roosters were crawling. It was beautiful. And then we're, we're waiting to see who's going to show up. And we got the fire going. We're just kind of waiting, uh, waiting for North Harbor time to start, which is about 10 minutes later than the uh, start time. <laughs> and we hear this noise, and everyone's quiet. And there's a pack of uh, coyotes out in the woods back here. It was very cool uh, just to hear that. Um, they sound a little crazy, coyotes, when they're all together. But it was very, very cool to see. And it's just like all of creation was just ready, just ready this morning to sing, right, uh, on this morning. Probably happens every morning, but, um, uh, but I don't happen that early every morning. So um, I got to hear it, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and, it's all, and it all felt like this forward movement into the day. We're moving into the day. And when we get to uh, the story of the resurrection, um, that is what's happening. We're moving on into something new. And we've seen this over and over again with the readings and the passages we've looked at in the last couple weeks. A few weeks ago, we, we read a passage from the book of Joshua where Israel is entering into uh, this land that God has promised them. They've been waiting in the desert, uh, wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're finally crossing into the land. God has been providing for them in a place where there's not many resources in the desert, water, and uh, pheasant to eat, and um, or quail. Is it quail? Quail. And uh, manna from heaven. And uh, they enter in, and they have their first meal in this land. And it says there was no more manna that showed up, meaning that the past is gone, and they're moving into something new. And then we saw a few weeks ago where Jesus is anointed. He's having this uh, meal. Uh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and there's this big celebration. There's a meal, and Mary comes along and breaks open this uh, jar of uh, perfume and pours it over his his whole body and dries his feet with her hair and she has the insight to know what's coming next and 
she's preparing him for burial. And uh, there's this moving forward. She, she gets it, and we're going to see even this morning, the women get it. The guys, the guys take a little while to come around. But the women get it, and she's preparing, and she's, she's helping him move forward into what's ahead. And we're going to see the same thing. And I said a, a while ago, and I think it was the, the story with, um, with Mary and the, and the perfume, that when we read these stories, they are very artfully written. And it's, it's very uh, important to read them like a movie. There's lots of foreshadowing that happens. Like if you're watching some sort of a horror flick, a zombie flick, right? And at the beginning of the movie, they're just going, people are going somewhere, nothing bad's happened, but their car doesn't start the first time. You know that's foreshadowing, that when the zombies are on the loose, the car won't start, right? That's foreshadowing. So in these stories, there's lots of that, we call them Easter eggs. There's little Easter eggs to tell you where things are going and moving forward. And we have that, it's so beautiful in this reading uh, from the book of John. And so that's what we're going to read this morning. And if we start... In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, there's our first Easter egg right there. We have this image of darkness, and this whole thing's going to move from dark to light, from a lack of understanding to understanding, from the old into the new. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, there's so much going on in this, these few sentences. She starts out at dark. So you have Jesus is sort of rushed down off the cross and put in a tomb. And a tomb is a cave all right, and there's a stone that is round, and it's meant to be rolled away because in that cave... A family would buy it, and there would be many people buried in there. And as you go into the cave, there's this place to lay the body and to prepare it for burial. So probably what's happened, and then there's other caves, there's other like nooks in the cave where you'd put the body in for uh, long term, okay? And there's many of those. So a family, like the Wells family would buy one, and then you have some, you have a place for all of the family down the road. This cave had not been used. So Jesus is laying on this uh, platform, and it was probably rushed on Friday night because they're Jewish, and they got to get ready for the Passover celebration, and they got to get home. And so she's expecting to roll that stone away. She probably couldn't do it on her own. There's many here with her, as we're going to see. And uh, she's surprised to see that the stone is already rolled away. And she goes in, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. So she's looking at that platform, And uh, all she sees are the linens. She came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus... So this is probably John who's writing this. John's got a little... He's he's got this thing where he thinks he's the best. And uh, (laughs) Simon Peter and the one Jesus loved, who happens to be me, and uh, said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put them. And so this whole sentence has to do with a lack of knowledge. We don't know. First, if it's very general, they, who's they? We hear this all the time. You talk to friends at work. They did a study. Well, who's they? I don't know who they is. And you have that sense here. They moved it, so probably 
authorities, Jewish authorities, Roman authorities, we don't know, but she's thinking someone has taken this body. And uh, we don't know. That's, that's another Easter egg. We don't know. We don't understand. There's something about that's going on here that people don't get. They did not expect a resurrection from the Messiah. They didn't expect the Messiah to die. They expected the Messiah to deliver Israel from Roman oppression. And he dies on a cross instead. So everyone's a bit confused. And that's where we start. The state of darkness and confusion, lack of understanding. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings. So there's this there's this cloth that would go around your head and under your chin. Keep your mouth shut. <clears throat> that one's set aside. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And so now John also goes inside. Remember, it's still probably pretty dark out. They don't quite see what's going on. Uh, so they're going in and out several times. Uh, he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said... Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. So it says that John believed, and it says until they didn't, they didn't quite get it. And, and, and still we have this theme of just not understanding what's going on. And we go through these times in our life all the time where we don't quite understand what's going on, or we don't know how long it's going to last, or we don't know what the meaning is behind it, or we don't know how much we can take or whatever it is. <clears throat> that's their state right now. They don't quite understand. It doesn't really lay out what John believed. But what's really funny here is that until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and so you have this, I'm just like, what? Like, that's it? Like, they, now we understand, but okay, that's good. Let's get out of here. Maybe they're hungry. I don't know. Uh, but they just kind of take off. But this isn't really a story for them. All right. Jesus shows up later on, and we have a very intimate uh, interaction with Peter, very powerful interaction. Jesus meets with the disciples. This story is about Mary, and she takes the center stage right here. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped. And looked in. So here again, we have these themes. She's not inside, she's outside. And she's in this place of distress. She's in this place of tears and grief and mourning, and she's struggling. She's having a hard time. Jesus had called them friends. This is someone she loved. This is someone we all love. And she's struggling at this moment. <clears throat> She's standing outside. She stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. And so here we have a very general question. Why are you crying? And it gives us a clue that 
Something is going on uh, that she doesn't understand. Something's going on that would not require crying. There's something bigger going on that would require something else than grief, right? Trying to ask her questions, lead her in this direction. She says, because they, again, have taken away my Lord. This is exactly the same thing that was said before. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. So now she's alone, because before she said, we don't know. It would be kind of odd for her to go in the darkness by herself. I don't think that would be a very safe thing. So she's probably with a bunch of other women that are going there, and then they must have gone, and she comes back by herself. But now it's, I don't know. And we're moving from this we to this I. We're moving from this state of grief to the angels asking general questions like, why would you be crying in this situation? She doesn't understand. And she gets locked in on the mystery of the tomb. She gets locked in on this thing. And we do it all the time. I do that all the time. I get so locked in on this, this spot of this source of grief, this source of loss, this source of death, this source of uh, unknowing and mystery. Right? Don't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so beautiful here is that there's this moving out of this place of unknowing and this place of grief and this place of distress into something much more tangible, much more um, where the light is. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. There it is. That's the central statement of this whole thing. Jesus is there. She doesn't recognize him. Jesus is there. We don't necessarily see it. See him all the time. Jesus, uh, she turned to leave, saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. He says, dear woman, why are you crying? Same statement. Why are we crying at a situation like this? This is something to celebrate. And then he presses her further. Whom are you looking for? And he gets more specific. You're looking for a person. And I believe that Jesus is trying to get her to shift off this. She's stuck on the empty tomb. She's stuck on the question. She's stuck on that distress. And Jesus is trying to move her beyond that. Whom are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away... Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And I love that. She is ready to go. She is ready to go find him. She is ready to run after wherever he is. And I wonder how often I'm like that (laughs) when I feel like God's not around. You know, I was talking to uh, our Floodgate kids a month ago. I guess that's another announcement. Floodgate coming up next Sunday after church. Uh, but we talked about uh, being in the storm, this, this story where Jesus is in the boat, there's a storm raging all around, he's asleep up front, and the disciples are like, does he even care? There's a question there, does he even care? We're all in those situations where we feel like, is God even present here? Is the creator, even, does he even care? Is he even aware of what's going on? 
And I think in stories like this and in that other story, there's just, we, we are reminded always um, that God is there. God sees, God hears. God wants us to draw close. Amen. God wants us to move forward into that relationship, into that place. <clears throat> she said, if you've taken him away, tell me. I'll go find him. I'll go get him. And he says her name, Mary. Now this is, for all the generalities in this that's been pushing us forward, now we get to something real specific. Her name, Mary. Now, if, we, if, if you're familiar with the book of John, in chapter 10, I believe, Jesus does this whole sermon about good shepherds and bad shepherds. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know, they, they know my voice, and I, and I call them by name. And he does that here. Calls her by name. She turned, and at that point, she understands. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani which means this is Hebrew for teacher. And really, technically, it's Hebrew for my teacher. My teacher. <clears throat> and so we have this moment of understanding, this moment of reunion, this moment of joy. We see it played out here in verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And she hugs them. There's this point of reunion. Now this whole thing, now, and then he does this strange thing that is like, don't cling to me. It almost reads like a rebuke. Stop, stop touching. It's almost like the paint hasn't dried yet, right? Don't touch it. Um, I'm ascending to the Father. And, and I think there's this feeling like, okay, he's got this different body. Maybe he's still sore, I don't know, from Friday. But I think that there's, he's got a message, that there's a transition happening over the next uh, several weeks where he will ascend to the Father, and he's got a message to send. There's some place to go. There's something to do. And the message is, we can't wait here. <laughs> go. Don't cling to me. We gotta, we got, I got a message for you. And it's interesting because Easter here is not, it's not a family reunion. It's not a reunion. <laughs> it's a reunion in a sense that she sees him and that she knows he's alive and that she can touch him. But it's not a reunion in that we're going back to the way things were. Jesus doesn't come down off the cross and then it's like, let's get back into Galilee and start teaching some more. There's something new coming. There's something pushing. And that's what this whole thing is doing. And, and John, the way he does this is so artful, is that there's this understanding. There's a lack of understanding. Then there's understanding. There's I don't know, and then they do know. There's, there's questions that are very vague and general, and then they become a bit more specific. The whole thing is moving forward into something new into something new and when i think of a reunion i think of something old I, I remember going to family reunions up in the lincoln area and that was fun and a little scary a little bit um but uh all these people i didn't know and didn't learn you're related to them uh but it's a reunion you come together you have a meal you go home that is not what Easter is about. 
It's about moving into something new. We're all moving into Amen. something new. Amen. We are. Um, <clears throat> so there's several things here. There's new life. These themes. I don't usually do four, a list of four things at the end of a sermon, but there's just four things here I want to mention. There's this idea of new life. That resurrection isn't just like, okay, we can celebrate it. Jesus is good. He's alive. We can go back to life as normal. It's about moving forward into something new, having the faith to chase that down, to trust God and where God is leading. Um, <clears throat> and God connects with you. We cannot ride the coattails of our parents' faith. We, teens, you know this. You know, you come to church and like this... This service really reeks of mom and dad, right? Yeah? So uh, we know that. We know that. There's a moving forward into something new. We can't ride the coattails of our parents' faith. We can't ride the coattails of our kids' faith. I knew someone at North Harbor years ago. This is an adult that used to try to bribe her kids with banana pancakes not to go to church. She like, we can go to church or we can stay home and have banana pancakes. And the kids were like, no, we want to go to church. And uh, her faith grew over the years uh, doing that. Um, we can't ride the coattails. It's, it goes from we don't know where he to I don't know where he's become. And this is something that we as individuals must live into. Um, it involves everyone. It's a community. We are a church is a family. Um, but it's something we need to figure out and move forward and hear that voice. Um, Jesus leads us in many ways. He's a shepherd. Here we have three different images. He's a teacher. He's my teacher. He's someone who gives me information that I need. Uh, he is a shepherd. In our part of the world, we drive sheep. We drive cattle, right? In that world, the shepherd leads. Nick tend the sheep. They give them names. They go after them when they're lost. They take care of them. And the sheep know their name. They hear their names called by the shepherd and they follow. Jesus leads us and cares for us. Amen. And then we have the idea of a gardener. You know, and it reminds me of the first story of the Bible. Everything's chaos and God creates a beautiful garden for humanity to tend and to keep. Meaning it's not just a place to hang out. It's a place where meaningful work is done that God has purpose for us Amen. moving forward. So God, Jesus leads us in many ways. And the future is this union. I love this. To, Jesus says, to my God and to your God. How does he put it? <clears throat> Don't cling to me. I am ascending to the Father. My Father... Your Father, to my God and your God. This is a place of union and coming together. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted us to end with um, a short video that talks about this idea of union, of heaven and earth and eternal life and all this sort of thing that this, these people put this better than... Uh, I could ever do. So let's, uh, let's take a quick listen and then we'll wrap up the sermon and, and sing. If you know very much about the story of the Bible, 
You've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Sounds nice, but what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life, but the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example? So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there can be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time, if those ages happen to overlap. Alright, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal. That is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age. A life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. And instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right, taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life into the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other, they do what's right in their own eyes, things get really bad. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death, or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human, so that both ages overlap in him. He lives in the age of mortality and death, and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life and to the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age 
is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. Amen. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death. And those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. Amen. And so it's easy to see why John and Luke and Mark and Matthew present these post-resurrection sightings of Jesus as this moment where people are trying to understand what's going on because it's not apparent. Um, It takes, it's an upside-down way of God. God's kingdom is, is not like human kingdoms. Amen. And so there's a process of coming to. And so Jesus is offering something to all of us. Mm -hmm. This grabbing onto or holding to or rather accepting the challenge or accepting the gift of eternal life that he offers to us. And so as we go from this, uh, this day, um, Easter, by the way, Easter is every Sunday. We celebrate on the first day of the week. Uh, because that is when Jesus is resurrected. Um, But we celebrate special on this day, uh, this one time a year. I want us all, I can't land this plane for you. you got to figure this out. (laughs) What is that new thing that God is leading you, that that, you you might not have a complete grasp on, that God is trying to push you into, to help you to understand? Jesus as a shepherd, Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as a gardener is leading and guiding, coming to find you if you were lost. How do you follow that? I'm, I'm convinced um, that if we are quiet enough, we can figure out what that is. Um, but there's so much at stake. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. Jesus has something for us that we're not going to be able to find on our own. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, and it's moving forward. It's not simply a reunion. It's into something new and greater. You have to accept it first. We've got to accept it and, um, and ask and pray and, and, yeah, and follow Christ where he leads. Okay, let's uh, sing about this wonderful life that we have. I'm going to read from uh, a passage from uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> First Corinthians. Paul writes, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. You see, just as death came 
into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised, and as uh, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when we will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 